I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. So join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 180 in which I announce giveaway winners and I've been poking away at stuff and I'm recording this on Monday, April 6, 2015. I want to start out by saying thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to all of you, especially who played away, uh, played with me on my podcast anniversary giveaway. Can you tell? I'm a little bit tired today, so we're going to see how this goes. This might be yet another episode that gets recorded and never sees the light of day. Pardon me while I get reset in my desk here. Um, I've got a couple of announcements and then just a little bit of a schedule update and then basically mostly a Sandy update. I am going to be talking a little bit about one review, um, one book that I purchased recently and some folks were asking about, so I'm just going to talk about that very briefly. Um, the first announcement is that I have indeed drawn the winners for my fifth podcast anniversary giveaway. Let me pull up their names. I'm sorry, I didn't think to put them right in front of me. Just a minute. Okay, I want to say congratulations to Carol Ann W., who won the $25 Fat Quarter Gift Certificate, and to Jeannie C., who won the Aurifil Thread, to Jean B., who won the Pattern for Scrapitude from Charlotte, to Carol D., who won the gift certificate to Pro Chemical and Dye, and to Helle S., I'm not really sure exactly how to pronounce your first name, um, who won the Craftsy class. I have emailed all of those folks earlier today. I've already heard back from a couple of folks. Um, and so if you, if I just said your name and that's a name and an initial you go by, check your email. Um, it is quite possible there are more than one, say, Genie C's out there. <laughs> so if you don't have an email, that means you're not the Genie C who won the Orifil thread, to which I give you my greatest sympathies. Um, in any case, I also did post those winners on my blog today. And if you go back to the giveaway post itself, they also show up in the widget. Um, so again, I've notified everybody, check your email. But I really do appreciate everybody that did leave comments. I've had a lot of fun reading the comments. Um, and I will be, and also a few po folks did post comments on Facebook as well, which I really appreciated seeing. And a few folks even mentioned something in Twitter. It's been a lot of fun reading. Um, and especially, it's always interesting to hear what are those things that really stick out in people's memories <laughs> from five years worth of podcasts. Some of them really took me by surprise. And a couple of them I hadn't even really remembered <laughs> about so it's always like I said that's always a kick so thank you again to everybody who participated and um, congratulations to the winners um, like I said I am really um, fried <laughs> today it's a really good thing I had today off from work um, because it's been a long couple of weeks I was gone on vacation um, to Washington DC had a wonderful week with my husband not quite a week just shy of a week in DC, we did not see any cherry blossoms. Nothing was in bloom when we were down there. Uh, we saw one tree the whole time we were there, one tree in bloom, and we only saw it from a distance. We were not able to actually walk over to it at the time we were on our way somewhere else. So I don't even have any pictures of cherry blossoms. But I do, we did have just a really nice week. I did have issues with my knee again. Um, those of you who were listening last year, I had started to try to train for a 5K and develop some knee problems. Um, with all the immense amount of walking we were doing on vacation, the knee problems cropped up again, but I was able to manage them pretty well. I just, you know, when we went back to our hotel for a little bit of a break, I would immediately ice my knee. Um, and I've decided I'm going to, it's doing fine now. It's recovered. I was very careful of it the weekend I got home because I was only home for a couple of days and then on the road for a work trip, which was going to involve a lot of walking through airports. So. I took that weekend super easy to make sure I could heal up my knee before, you know, because I really didn't want to be limping through airports all week. Um, and so it's doing a lot better now, but I have decided I'm going to try to see if I can get in for some physical therapy to do 
uh, figure out what kind of strengthening and stretching exercises I need to prevent this from ever happening again because I am so tired of getting on a roll with, you know, making progress in working out and goals I've been trying to achieve and then having the issues. So it's time to really uh, look at some more long-term solutions. And I do know the, the particular knee issues I have, it's a matter of strengthening certain muscles and loosening up other ones, you know, the stretching and strengthening to balance everything out so that uh, my knee has the support it needs when I'm, you know, starting to really push it um, harder. Uh, so I'm in the progress uh, process now that I've, well, probably not for another couple of weeks, I'm gonna try to uh, get in, like I said, with a physical therapist. So. I'll keep you posted on that because I know a lot of folks have knee issues, so I can let you know how it goes. Um, so we were on vacation. I was home two days. Then I was on a work week, which involved three cities, four days, and a lot of time in airports. I think I counted 12 airport stays altogether um, through this set of trips. It was a really good trip. It accomplished what it needed to. I was traveling my, by myself, but in each city I went to, I was meeting up with um, one of our women, one of our leadership women, in order to do what I needed to do in that city. So it was it was just, it was a really good week. And in general, it wasn't one of the more tiring, uh, or you wouldn't think of it as one of the more tiring types of trips uh, that I had to do because it wasn't a speaking engagement or anything. I was, I was just doing visits. Um, but just that much time in airports just wears you out. And I got home late Wednesday night. My husband was picking me up at the airport and said, oh, my brother's coming into, you know, I, well, I already knew his brother was coming into town with his family from California. Um, they were apparently supposed to land, as my husband said, right around the same time I was landing. And so he had said, I'd really like to stay to meet them too. Well, when he told me that, I thought he meant five to 10 minutes after I landed. It turned out it was like another half hour or so. And so by the time they got off their plane and then we stood around with them while they were getting their bags and stuff, by the time I finally got left that airport. It was a full hour after I had gotten home and I was fried, absolutely fried. I was thrilled to see my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and the, the girls, um, love them dearly. Uh, but you know, I said to my husband later, I get extra good wife points for that. Don't I <laughs> for hanging around when all I wanted to do was go home and crawl into bed. Um, and you know, my husband didn't realize it was going to be that long either. He thought it was a much uh, closer time frame as well. So you know, no blame there or anything. It was just, it was tiring. And then Thursday night, we had a family event. Friday, we had a family event. Saturday, we had a family event. And of course, Easter Sunday, we spent most of the day over at my in-laws. So I just never really had a good amount of a stretch of time to recover. I did, uh, I had Friday off. I had to work Thursday, had Friday off. Um, we were supposed to go out Friday night. And in fact, my husband and daughter, my daughter had come home for the weekend, did go out with the family Friday night. I just knew, I, I said, it, this, the family event we had going on Saturday was a very critical one. Um, my younger brother-in-law is getting married. And this was the, the event where his family and her family were meeting for the first time. So I really knew I had to be on my game <laughs> for that event. So I had said, I'm not going out Friday night. We did, I just went over to my in-laws um, just kind of for a, for dinner, essentially we ordered a pizza so that I could see the California crew for just, you know, I think I was over there maybe an hour, hour and a half all in. So drive time, I was out maybe two hours Friday, but that was still just enough that, yeah, I still had to be out of the house still. <laughs> had to be social for a little bit. Um, so today, just absolutely, totally flat out fried. Um, again, good thing I had the day off. I did have, we had to have a uh, salesperson come in this morning and meet with my husband and I because our back door needs replacing. And we had to go through, the, you know, what kind of door we're gonna get and time frame and all that kind of stuff. So that happened this morning. And then my husband went back to work and I had to have a garage door opener guy in. <laughs> <laughs> to fix our garage door this afternoon. Yes, our house is just about 10 years old. Everything's going to pot. Every year we're <laughs> having to replace or repair something at this point. Um, so it's, you know, it's been a fun day, but I have, my daughter went back to school first thing this morning. Uh, so other than the couple of contractors in and out, I've spent quite a bit of the day just home alone in the quiet with my dogs and my sewing room. Um, I do have one announcement I want to say now um, at the beginning of this 
episode, but then I'm going to talk about it more at the end because there's a lot of you that may not really care <laughs> about it. <laughs> I don't say that. I mean, I, that doesn't bother me at all. This is a quilting podcast. The announcement I have is of a personal nature. So I'm going to do it at the very end so that those of you who are only tuning in for the quilting can just hear about quilting and then turn off the podcast and move on. Those of you who are more interested in um, what this is all going to entail, I'll, I'll give you the information at the end. You can hear about it. Um, but just in brief, uh, while I was on vacation, I got a phone call to um, tell me I had been accepted into a doctoral studies program to start in the fall. And I'm very, very excited about this um, and like I said, I will give detail at the end of this episode, um, but I will be starting a Doctor of Ministry study program um, beginning, actually, I, I think it begins in August, but fall semester 2015. Uh, and yeah, it will have some impact on the podcast. I'm going to keep doing the podcast. It just may not be as regular <laughs> because, as you can guess, doctoral studies take a lot of time. Um, and a Doctor of Ministry program is specifically for, it's, it's a praxis-based, it's for uh, people who are not quitting their jobs. Essentially, I'm going to still be working full-time and obviously still be a mom and a wife and all of those things and a doggy mom, um, and then doing the demon on top of it. So as you can guess, I may not be quite as productive in the quilting and hand dyeing and fiber arts and all of that kind of stuff I've gotten into. I am going to continue trying to do it as best I can because obviously it's therapy, <laughs> if nothing else, um, it's therapy. So, uh, you know, what I'm guessing is I'll be doing stuff with quilting and fiber arts and stuff, but probably not finishing a whole lot of stuff because I just, I'm not going to have the time. Um, so my podcasts, while I'm not bringing it to an end, I am going to keep podcasting. Um, it just may not be quite as regular starting about mid to late August. But again, I'll talk a little bit more about the demon at the end of this episode. So you can, those of you who are interested can find out what I'm doing and where I'm doing it. And for as much as I know, why? Uh, so back to the Quilty Talk. Sandy update. Uh, let's see, what have I been doing? While I was on vacation, I did take my Suspargo embroidery project with me and I was working on stinking bouillon knots <laughs> forever. Um, they're very pretty. I really like the bouillon knot as a design element, but it is a time consuming and thread consuming stitch to do. Uh, you'll, you'll have to look it up. It's bouillon, it's spelled B-U-L-L-I-O-N if you've never done embroidery. But basically to explain it, it's like doing a quilter's knot to the nth degree. You take a back stitch and then on your needle as it's coming back out of the fabric, you're wrapping the thread around it uh, really any number of times. It, probably the minimum would be eight to 10 times. Um, I was actually doing for the size thread I was using and the size knot I wanted to end up with at the end, I was doing 20 wraps on every stitch. Um, and so you can tell that's something that's gonna take a while <laughs> and it takes a lot of thread. Um, I'm pretty pleased. I've, I did finally get one butterfly outlined with the bouillon knots. I, oh, I didn't keep track of time, but I would say that one butterfly probably took me at least three hours all in. Now, some of that was because it's, you know, whenever I'm doing a new stitch, it's a slow start. And I usually, I, I seem to have fallen into the habit of I have to start any new stitch about three times <laughs> before I get it right. Um, and that was the case on this one, but I did finally get the hang of it. And, and as I went, I was able to get a little bit faster at it, but it's just, there's no fast to the stitch. It just takes a while. Uh, but it has a really pretty sort of a lace effect when it's done. It almost looks like you've crocheted an edge around the outside of that. Um, my, I am pretty pleased with the way they turned out. They're a little bit uneven. I didn't always have them quite the same width and quite the same height, but they're they're pretty close. Um, so anyway, I, I love the bouillon knot. I'm glad I learned how to do it. I'm probably not going to do it often, <laughs> it really, or at least not on the amount of real estate I was trying to cover with it on this outlining the butterfly. Um, I'm now at the point where I need to now decide what stitches I'm doing next. In the class, she shows a couple of variants on the bouillon knots, which are quite nice, but they're essentially the same idea. So I may go ahead and skip ahead to whatever the next stitch is. Um, I, I just have to watch a lesson, which I might do after I'm done with this uh, recording this episode. 
Um, I probably, I didn't take it with me on my work trip uh, because I was trying to pack really, really, really super light. Uh, I did everything carry on and it was in a tote bag. I didn't even want to have a wheelie, you know, the usual carry on luggage to drag behind me because I hate nothing more than dragging those things through the airport, especially if I'm running to an airport, uh, the next plane. And I did, most of my connections were pretty well good, but I had one that was pretty tight and I was a little bit worried about it. So I just had a, a carry-on that was over my shoulder, which meant I didn't bring anything with me that I didn't absolutely have to bring. So no embroidery came with me. Um, I don't think I'm going to bring embroidery with me on my next trip, at least not that project. Um, I'll be talking in a minute about a smaller project I may bring with me, but I think on this next trip, I may only have one evening where I'm kind of on my own, where I would have time to do something like that. So I doubt I'm gonna be bringing anything with me on the next trip. Uh, the other thing I've been poking away at, hence the title of this episode, is the Anne Unrine Everything in Its Place bag from the Craftsy class, her cra Craftsy class, which I believe is called Travel Essentials. And, oh man, this thing is taken for freaking ever. Now that is, Partly because, again, as you know, I've not always had a great experience doing bags. So I'm really, really taking my time. With every step, I'm watching the video, I'm reading the instructions. Half the time, I'm going back and watching the video another couple of times just to make sure I'm really getting it right. Um, there have been a couple things that have not gone smoothly. Most of it, you know, because, again, she does it very well. She breaks it down into a lot of steps. Um, for the most part, I was able to get through some of the early steps pretty easily with very few real issues. Uh, but today <laughs> I ended up throwing a tantrum at my sewing machine because this one piece, this one part just was not working and it was driving me nuts. Um, so it, the, the step I was doing today inv involved sewing with mesh. And she had talked a little bit in the very first episode about sewing with mesh, but I don't know that she went into a lot of detail over it. And, and Mostly what she was talking about with this was the stretchiness. Well, I wasn't having an issue with the stretchiness. The problem I was having is my sewing machine kept eating it. It just kept, uh, it didn't matter where I started. I tried starting further into the seam. I tried doing this, that, and the other thing, you know, starting out further in and then um, reverse sewing back and then starting again. It, what I, it did not matter. It kept eating the mesh and it was just making me nuts. And I was going through the the discussion and seeing whether anybody else had mentioned this and whether she had given an answer. And, and again, I kept backtracking and watching through the video. And I finally, like I said, threw a tantrum. <laughs> I believe a piece of fabric just quite possibly might have gone flying across the room. I certainly know the dog ran. <laughs> it, was, it was not a pretty scene. And I have to say, I, I am giving this class a certain amount of credit that I've gotten this far into it before throwing my first tantrum, <laughs> but, but a tantrum has now been thrown. Um, I finally decided I'm just too tired. You know, it's not like I was making any stupid mistakes because I was tired. I was just too tired to deal with the stress of it not working well. Um, so I decided to just walk away and I sat down and fired off <laughs> a very angry, whiny, frustrated email to my BFF um, around here, one of my BFF uh, BQFs, uh, Lori from my guild. And um, she happened to, thank God, she happened to be online apparently checking her email because within about a minute of me sending her that email, she immediately sent me back a response. And she said, try putting tissue paper or like a phone book page or something like that underneath the mesh while you're sewing. And so I sent her back an email and I said, God bless you, you're a wonderful person. And then I went and tried it and it did the trick. It was exactly what I needed to do. Um, so now a part of me wants to, I need to at some point probably need to go back to the first episode where she talks a little bit about working with mesh to see whether she says that. If she doesn't say it, then I'm gonna go back into the class discussion and, and post that because I'm sure I'm not the only person who's um, sewing machine was eating the mesh fabric. So for those of you who might be sitting here trying to sew with mesh fabric and about to throw a tantrum of yourself, phone book 
tissue paper works really well. I, I actually have an old phone book sitting in my sewing room because I had some thought at some point I was going to do a big paper piecing project, which never got done. Um, never even made it past vaguely thinking about stage. Uh, but the, the phone book paper was exactly the right, uh, the page was exactly the right, um, what am I looking for? Words come to me. Consistency? <laughs> I don't know. You know what I'm saying. It was perfect because it held the mesh steady, but then I was able to tear it out quite easily when I was done. Um, the, the other thing that seems to be really slowing me down is that I have to keep changing my thread. I, the, the fabrics that I'm using, I've got a multicolored main fabric that's going to be the outside. My inside is basically a tone-on-tone -tone turquoise batik. It's all batik. And then my accent fabrics are a yellow batik. Well, there are some places where I need to use a yellow thread and some places where I need to use the blue thread. And sometimes in the same step, I'm switching back and forth between the two to make sure I'm not, I don't have visible thread. And that's slowing me down too. And she doesn't ever seem to really change thread on her. So I think the fabrics she's using are all very light. Um, there's a lot of white, so I'm guessing she's probably using a white, a light gray or something. Uh, if I were to do a project like this again, which is highly questionable, um, I would definitely think through thread <laughs> before I chose my fabrics to make sure I could just use one thread throughout because it, it's driving me nuts. Again, you know, every time I go to do the next step, I'm like, oh crud, I got to change the thread again. Um, there's only one thing so far that I'm not pleased with the way it works, and I did it exactly the way she um, described it. It's just the way the design ends up happening. Is there un is one place where you've sewed one piece onto another, and then you go back when you're sewing the next piece onto that first piece, you are now going back over um, threads you've already, uh, seams you've already sewn. And in my case, that meant I now have blue threads showing on a yellow, um, on a, a yellow accent piece, and there was no way to avoid it. I couldn't. I even debated using um, an invisible thread so it wouldn't be visible at all. But the the bulk of the seams I was sewing through, and there was a zipper end stuck in the middle of it, and it was just and stabilizer and everything. It was a very thick, kind of foamy stabilizer. I didn't think the invisible thread was actually going to hold up to it. I just thought it would be a headache waiting to happen with it snapping and breaking and everything. So I just used my regular thread. What I am going to do, because I have the ability to now, I'm going to go back in with my fabric paints and just paint that blue thread yellow when I'm done, because um, it just looks terrible. And I'm not the only person that had that happen. Um, that was actually a, a discussion in the class notes that other people are having the same problem because of having to change colors of thread and the way the seams work and everything. So that's just one um, kind of minor design flaw I would say there might be to this uh, design, but I don't, I don't know. There's really no other way she could have done it either. Some other people made some suggestions of workarounds, but one of them sounded so complicated. I was like, yeah, not, that's not going to happen. Um, so again, I just lived with it and decided I'm just going to go in and paint over it if it really bothers me when it's done, which I think it will, because it's the only place where the wrong color thread is showing on the fabric. Um, I still have two lessons to get through on this first bag, and then there's a whole nother bag to go. So I'm kind of starting to feel like I'm not going to have this class done until, you know, 2017. Uh, so we'll see. I'm going to I'm going to keep working on it, especially now because I have bought the kits for both bags and they were not cheap, and so this is not something I really want to leave as an unfinished object. Um, I've, I've got to get them done. It's it's just taking me for freaking ever. Ah, so anyway, that's that one. Um, I did decide I got to a certain point where I, I'm actually ready to start the, the third lesson on this bag, but I decided, no, I really am too tired to keep going. I've, I've spent a couple of hours on it this afternoon. I already threw my tantrum and then I got over myself and I was able to move on. Um, but yeah, I'm not doing any more on it today. Um, I am now officially two blocks behind in my Ginny Buyer block of the month craftsy class. That's the free craftsy class that several of us are doing. I still have one of the two February blocks to get done and the March block, and I haven't even looked at the April block yet, I haven't even watched the class or downloaded the materials. Um, it, it, it's, you know, I've definitely lost steam on it. <laughs> it's really hard for me to get excited about it 
because every block has more templates to do and I am just tired of templates. Um, fortunately on Twitter, uh, someone did say, oh, by the way, you know, these March templates are actually the same templates you already used in February. I don't know why Ginny Byer didn't say that in the class. I don't know why she didn't say, hey, these are the same templates, you know, just use template A, B, and C from last time or whatever the template numbers were. Um, but bless those people who had who are more on top of things than I <laughs> and are ahead of me and are able to give me helpful tips like that. Um, but I, you know, I bought the kit. I've got all the fabrics. I can't just call it a day. I've got to keep going on it. So at this point, I'm just, I know I'm just at this tired level where nothing sounds particularly interesting to do. So I'm going to wait until I get back from this next trip. When I get back from this next trip, um, I have one very short trip uh, for work. It's only a couple of days, very low key trip. It's just down to our um, our offices for staff meetings and such. So it's not the kind of trip that will really wear me out. And then I've got my daughter's graduation weekend. Other than that, I'm just, well, in, in another weekend where we're, <laughs> okay, I guess I am traveling a lot <laughs> when, I, when I think through it, but it doesn't feel like I'm really traveling much because I've only got one of those as a work trip. Everything else is personal. Um, but, it, you know, so once I get this work trip done, I don't really have major pressure trips going on for work until the end of June. So at that point, I feel like I'm going to make some serious progress with a lot of these projects. And to that end, I did do a blog post today. I've decided to take a page from um, Jackie of So Excited Quilts book and from um, Philippa, Philippa, Philippa. I don't know where the accent is. I'm sorry. I always think of you as Ozzy Pip <laughs> from Ozzy Pip Quilts. Um, they both do goals for the week and updates. I think they both do them on Sundays. Maybe Ozzy Pips might be on Saturday. I don't know because Australia, you know, kind of a different time zone. So when I'm reading them, I'm reading them all at the same time um, where they say, here's what I got done last week. Here's what I'm planning to get done this week. And so they, they kind of keep themselves on task. Normally, I am somebody who is willing to work on a whim. I'm not one that really likes to plan out. I must get X done this week, um, mostly because I have so little time and my schedule can tend to change on a dime. Um, but right now, I've just got so many projects in process that I really felt the need to just settle down <laughs> and, and start really thinking through what do I need to get done and, and setting some goals. So at least for the next little while, um, I'm going to be trying to do what they do and either Saturdays or Sundays every week, I'm going to try to say, hey, here's what I got done last week. Here's what I'm going to try to get done this week. Um, the first post I just did today and I actually listed out all the projects I have going on, the projects I need to get done um, coming up and uh, just general UFOs works in progress. I have several categories going. It's an incredibly overwhelming list when I look at it and I'm not convinced I got everything on there. Um, but it's enough for me to start. And for my UFOs, some of them are, are ones that I may decide, I'll look at them and I might decide, you know what, I'm just not gonna get this one done. I already have two listed that I know for sure. I'd already decided over the last few days, those are gone. I'm gonna give them to somebody else to finish because my energy around them is just nil. Um, and you know what, when I don't have a lot of time to quilt, I am not going to lay those kinds of obligations on myself. Um, I did a lot with them. Somebody else can finish them off if they want to. Um, if not, they'll go in a guild silent auction where they get piled up with other stuff and people just kind of, they put tickets in. It's sort of that silent auction. And whoever's ticket is drawn wins the object. And then if they don't want to finish the UFO that happens to be in that pile, <laughs> they, can, they can gift it on as well. Um, but I do have a lot of, I have, I only have a small handful of kind of long-term UFOs. And I do, those are ones that have survived several other cullings of <laughs> UFOs in my past. And they are ones I think I really want to get done. So I don't have too many UFOs kicking around that I'm just going to say, no, not going to happen. These really are ones I do want to finish. Um, it's just a matter of when they get done. So anyway, uh, I do have, uh, like I said, I did that blog post today. So I've got very low goals for this week and next week because of my schedule. But after that, I really want to start trying to devote a certain amount of time every week to just working my way through some of these projects um, and trying to keep myself from starting too many new ones until I finished off some old ones. I'm not going to be 
unrealistic <laughs> and say, I'm not starting another single new project until I've gotten X number of old ones done. Cause you know, some days you just gotta follow the whim, but I'm really gonna try to be consistently finishing so that if I do start, I'm not overwhelming myself again. Um, I'm working on a couple of other craftsy classes besides the two I've already mentioned. I am watching through uh, Debbie Caffrey's Clever Cuts for Efficient Quilting. Um, I did my March uh, Craftsy class update last week uh, that went on my blog. And so you'll see where I ended up buying that class and why um, I had already done her earlier class and it was really good. That is a class I am simply watching. I'm not doing any projects or anything. So um, that's a good one for me to be doing while I'm traveling because I can sit and watch in airports as I did a couple of times. Um, I'm also doing the same thing with Annette Kennedy's painting pictorial quilts class. I am just watching it. I'm not doing either of the class projects. Um, they're beautiful projects, but I would rather watch the class and then apply the techniques to my own art quilts that I've already got going or future ones. So um, that's another one that I'm just watching. It is taking me a while to get through though, because both of those classes have a fair number of lessons that, and each lesson is fairly long. Um, so I, now I do admit I'm watching them periodically on one and a half or two times the speed, <laughs> um, especially Annette Kennedy's because you watch, you spend a lot of time watching her paint. And so I'm speeding that one up a little bit, um, but I am getting the techniques down. Uh, the, the one that I'm really working my way through, um, the other than the ones I've already mentioned again, uh, is not actually a quilting class at all. Um, it's Scott Chandler's The Essential Guide to Photoshop. Um, I've worked my way through the first two lessons. I think I'm trying to remember, I think there's seven lessons in all. And in those first two lessons, I have already learned a ton. I use Photoshop for both work and personal stuff. I've used it for years. Um, I've you know, been updating, right? Well, we had a big update recently because we had skipped a few. Um, I have it through work. Um, but, you know, it's one of these things where I learned how to do what I normally do, but haven't taken the time to learn a lot more. And there is just a ton you can do with Photoshop. Once in a while, if I want to do something fancy, I get out my manuals or I go online and I try to find the tutorials and work my way through it. But what I'd really like to get kind of just to the next level. I don't need to be an expert at it, but I would like to get a little bit better at just naturally knowing how to do some slightly more complex things than what I naturally know how to do now. And like I said, even just in the very first lesson where he's just talking about preferences, boy, did I learn a lot. I was like, oh, wow, I, did, I never knew that's what that was for. Um, so that one I'm, I'm just kind of working my way through. It's again, that's another one that's gonna take a while because I have to actually be sitting at my computer and have Photoshop open so I'm working through everything that he's talking about as I'm doing it. Um, if you are somebody who's used Photoshop and feel like you don't really know how to use as much of what you'd like to use, it's a really, really good class. I, like I said, I'm getting a lot out of it already. Um, he also has a class on Lightroom, which I already plan on doing, but I don't yet own Lightroom. I will have it in May, I actually have to take, well, that's kind of a long story. I have to take my computer with me when I go down to our um, headquarters to the offices in May so that the computer center can wipe it clean <laughs> and start me over because somewhere along the way, some sort of critical file got corrupted. Um, it's not a virus or anything. It just something happened somewhere along the way to one file, two files, I guess, in the system that um, Adobe Lightroom and Acrobat both use. And once we've, and I use Acrobat all the time, so it's killing me not to have, I'm using Reader and it just isn't the same functionality. But anyway, uh, so they have to actually reformat my computer <laughs> to get that fixed and hopefully also fix some other very small little niggling things that I've been dealing with for the last year or more that they've never really been able to figure out why they're happening. I'm really hoping it's all due to this one issue. So. Um, that's going to be a little bit of fun in May because, yeah, once they reformat, I then have to reinstall a whole bunch of stuff. But anyway, once I do that, then I'll have Lightroom. That was a very long digression. I apologize. Um, back to happy fiber stuff. Um, I also did post, well, this is only on Twitter. I get, no, I guess it did go on my blog. Um, when I was talking, I blogged recently about the Stellar app, which is an app 
that kept me very entertained while I was in all those airports on my work trip. Uh, go back to my blog. I just posted that review. Oh, I don't know. It was sometime this weekend. Maybe even just this morning. I don't remember when it went out. Um, but one of the stellar stories I created was about the fact that I just inherited uh, quite a bit of um, spinning supplies and rovings, fibers, etc. from Vicky. Uh, I talked about in a previous episode, um, Vicki was a woman in our guild who passed away quite unexpectedly in January. Uh, I have one of her UFOs now that her friend Jan had given me, thinking that Vicki would love to see how I finished this one. I talked about that in a previous episode. Um, this time, last weekend, in between my two trips, I was able to meet up with Jan and we went over to Vicki's house because I'm the only person Jan knew of in any of Vicky's circles who also had done any spinning and Vicky had some spinning supplies. She did not have a spinning wheel, which I was kind of hoping maybe she had because I would have been willing to um, buy that off of them, but uh, off of her husband. But no, she did not have a spinning wheel. Apparently she had been probably in the same stage as I had been really thinking about it, but not quite ready yet to actually make the purchase. Um, but I did get a lot of fiber. She had a lot of wool and alpaca, um, a lot of beautifully dyed rovings. I think she and I had very similar tastes and color. Um, and a lot of what I might do, because I'm kind of stalled on the spinning at this point. I, Again, when time gets short, I default to doing the things I already know how to do, the quilting and the hand dyeing and such. I haven't been working with my drop spindles at all in the last couple of months. But these dyed rovings, what I may do is use them for needle felting into art quilts rather than spinning. Um, and I did already play around a little bit with one, uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, she had two drop spindles that I, I kind of, I just basically gave her husband a check to encompass all of this. So I got two drop spindles. One is similar in weight to one I already have, but I. I can't remember now, I have to get my spindles out. One, I think her heavy, the heavier one I got from her is a top whorl, and I think my heavier one is a bottom whorl. So I, I think I'm still kind of filling out my set of drop spindles. And then she had a very, very small lightweight one, which is great for doing finer yarn. So um, I was quite pleased to be able to purchase both of those drop spindles, and like I said, kind of fill out my set a little bit, because I really do intend to stick with it. <laughs> at some level. Um, and then she had clearly gotten into felted wool um, where you're actually doing, you know, the 3D, the critters and such. And um, so I did a stellar story where I posted photos and I just put that on my blog under the, the stellar review blog post, which went out this weekend. So if you look in there, one of the stories is a, with photos of the, the stuff I inherited from Vicki. Um, I'm trying to figure out what some of these felted wool projects are. There was one that looks like it might be an Easter egg design. I mean, it, right now it looks like an egg with one flower on it, and I think the rest, it, it kind of comes in a bag with other roving, and so I think it was just going to be a decorated egg, um, which would be cool to finish because, boy, that would make a great pincushion. <laughs> that would be nice to have that. Um, so that might be the one I sort of start with, but there's no, even though it's clear she bought it as a kit, there's no pictures or instructions or anything in it. So I would just be freewheeling, you know, freestyle what I wanted to do on there. Um, there was a couple of teddy bear kits, one where she had the, the teddy bear, I would say about half done, um, maybe even a little bit further. Um, really, really cute, uh, but does need a lot more work to be finished. And then the other one is the same design of teddy bear, just in different colors. And that one she hadn't done any work on. Those two kits do have the instructions in them. So that I, I know, I mean, vague instructions anyway. I still have to do a little bit of learning to figure out how to even get to the starting point that these instructions start with. Um, then there's like a teddy bear head, just the head that has no wool with it for like the rest of the body. There is some other roving that was somewhere else that I think might be the roving that went with this bear, but it still doesn't look like enough to actually make a whole bear of that color. So I think clearly again, maybe there was something else going on. If it was her own design, maybe she had thoughts about, you know, what kind of bear this would be, etc. That would take me some figuring out. And part of me figures is thinking, I'll just finish the head and just <laughs> 
stick it on a shelf as the head because what she has done was very cute so if i could really learn what i was doing it would be a very cute bear head <laughs> without anything else and then there's a couple of bags that look like um they have pins with them and some beads so clearly they were meant to be some sort of brooch when they're finished but there's no photos no instructions nothing i one has enough done that i could kind of figure out how to do the rest of it. The other one's just roving and pin and beads. So I'd, I'd have to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, so those are like far off into the future projects. They didn't even make it. None of that kind of stuff made it onto my list that I just posted on my blog. That was pretty much strictly quilting stuff uh, because there's, again, there's a learning curve before I can even get to doing this kind of thing. Um, those of you who were on Twitter with me, oh, this is probably about a month ago now when I bought the Needle Felting magazine and fell in love with some little needle felted pudgy birds and everybody said walk away from the magazine don't get involved in anything else well I got it now um I bought it mostly for I didn't realize all that needle felting stuff was in there at first I was just looking at the rovings for you know the spinning and the stuff I'm already doing and then when I kind of dug down through and and found all the needle felting stuff and some of the supplies um the the needles themselves and uh, foam sponge and such um she did also have one of the needle felting, um, the, the things you buy at Joann's that have like four pins in them that you kind of need. Anyway, those of you who have needle felted know exactly what I'm talking about. Those who don't, I apologize. No way I can describe it right now <laughs> as tired as I am. Um, and it had the base that's the, you know, kind of the scrub brush base to it. But I already own those, so I didn't buy those from him. I, I felt kind of bad. I thought I should maybe throw them in, but I was like, you know, I don't really need two of both of those things around, so I, I didn't take those. Um, and then the other thing she had that I did buy was a Swift. Um, and a Swift is a contraption that you attach to your table to um, wrap yarn around. And I needed one. Well, I kind of debated back and forth whether I was going to get one. Uh, but it will help me if I do ever get to spinning or even if I buy yarn that's already been spun but not dyed yet, I can use the Swift to um, turn it into hanks that I, are easier for me to then dye. So that was, I'm, I was glad to have that in there too. Um, so as I was driving home from Vicky's house with this bag of rovings and stuff, I, I did have this kind of sudden sense of um, Vicky being there saying, okay, now you got it. What are you going to do with it? You know, and <laughs> so, so we'll see. Um, Vicky, thank you. Jan, thank you. Ray, thank you. And um, I'm looking forward to years of fun <laughs> with that stuff. Um, on my journal quilts, as you may know, one of my goals for 2015 was to do a journal quilt every month. And I've decided I'm going to give myself a little bit of wiggle room on the requirements. Originally, my plan was to do every journal quilt was going to be 8 by 10, 8 inches by 10 inches uh, for consistency. And I kind of had the thought at the end of the year, wouldn't it be cool to have 12 of these things all the same size? The reality is, again, with my schedule, um, my main goal was that each month that would encourage me to experiment in some way that I would try a new technique or or do something with color or something there would be some sort of challenge to myself sorry about that the dogs are now thrown out of the office um in any case the, the main goal was to challenge myself to continue to progress in terms of learning or experimenting new with new things particularly in terms of art quilt type skills um but when I looked at it, I, I was kind of kicking myself because I never got a journal quilt done in February and I wasn't really sure I was getting one done in March. And then I realized, well, wait a minute. In February, I did Nooms, which was the, the art quilt piece that came out of the class that I then put in a show. And I thought, you know, it's stupid for me to be legalistic around this. Nooms really did meet all of my requirements for the journal quilts, except for the size. It's bigger than eight by 10. So I decided, you know what, Nooms is just going to count as my February journal quilt. March, um, what I've decided or kind of realized partway through, when I, at one point I was working on, I was using my fabric paints and I was testing out my fabric paints and I was doing something that had been talked about in um, the painting craftsy class I was doing at the time. And I was, as I was sitting there working with my paints and I was kind of thinking, okay, well, what am I going to do for my journal quilt this month? And I realized, well, idiot, you're working on it. <laughs> so um, my, the fabric paint project that I worked on in March, just to kind of play around with fabric paints, is now going to be my March 
journal quilt. I did actually finish all the painting in March. It does need to be finished as a project. I need to, I'm gonna put some um, smallish borders on it and then just do some very simple quilting on it and then it'll get done in April. But since I finished the painting part of it, the main part of it in March, I'm counting it as March's journal quilt. Um, I don't know exactly what size it is now uh, because I was doing it kind of on a scrap piece of fabric. It's, I'm pretty sure it's smaller than eight by 10 at this point. But when I get my borders on there, it'll be, you know, right around eight by 10. Um, for April's journal quilt, I haven't entirely decided what I'm gonna do, but I did, um, once I had all those fibers from uh, Vicky and I started thinking about the needle felting again, I pulled out my own needle felting supplies and I found I had some roving in there that I'd bought, um, just little tiny packages of it, probably at Joann's, probably at the same time I bought the needle felting supplies. and. I decided, you know, I'm just going to start playing around with this. I, I was doing something else. I was watching something, I guess. And so I just sat there and was kind of needle felting <laughs> while I was watching whatever this was. And I had talked on an earlier episode about wanting to do a prayer flag. And so I pulled off of my shelf a piece of batting that I had hand dyed a while back, a few months ago. And it's sort of a mottled black. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do a little prayer flag that's using some of this batting as the background. And then I'll do some, I'll felt some roving into it and I'll do some hand embroidery and maybe put a couple of beads on there and find some sort of quote. And within about hmm, 45 minutes or so, I had it really at least designed and about halfway put together and it won't take me that long to finish off. So I'm going to probably take that with me. One of my goals this week is to get the beads on it because once I attach the beads to it, then it's much more portable. I'm a little afraid of losing the beads if I pack them separately. And I think that that I might take with me this weekend because um, like I think I already said, I will have Saturday night on the road um, at least a little bit of time where I might be just sitting in a hotel room and can do a little bit of stitching and, and this won't take all that long to finish off. So that might be my April journal quilt, even though it's not, again, eight by 10. On the other hand, I also have some uh, various art quilt designs that I've gotten all the fabrics for. I kind of know what I want to do that I came out of the art quilt classes I took from Tina Somerset. One of those may end up being the April one. So that I haven't fully decided yet. Um, but that's where I just had to think through, okay, what was my original quilting resol uh, re resolution for 2015? What was my real main goal for doing that thing? And can I give myself any wiggle room? There is benefit, by the way, to doing something the same size every time because it makes you, it kind of forces you into thinking within certain, uh, a certain design field. And there is a lot of benefit to that. But for what I really wanted to accomplish this year um, with the journal quilts, the size of the design field is not the primary concern. <laughs> the primary concern is what I'm doing with that piece. So that's why I felt okay about saying, okay, well, I'm gonna adjust this goal just a little bit um, to be a little more realistic with my life. Um, I'm going to talk very briefly here about Color Play with Joan Wolfram. This is the book um, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that I bought recently that some folks on Twitter went, were interested in hearing about. I'm not gonna give a full review. Suffice it to say, it's a great book. Here's the thing, I already owned her original edition of Color Play, which is now something like 14 years old. Again, the book is just Color Play with, uh, by Joan Wolfram, and Joan is spelled J-O-E-N-W-O-L-F-R-O-M, and I will put a link to the new edition on, um, on the show notes of this episode. So the first edition was out, like I said, about, I think it was published in 2000, maybe just 2000, year 2000, and I've owned it for a long time. Um, I had never really used it. I had read it, you know, a couple of times. I'd kind of gone through it. I was sort of familiar with what was in there, but I'd never really fully utilized it as a resource. Um, the reason I decided when I saw she had a new edition out, which is just 2014, I think it came out in the spring, or I'm sorry, in the fall of 2014. Um, the reason I decided to go ahead and get it, typically I don't buy new editions of books because I've usually found there's very little actually new about them. And in the publicity for this one, it mostly said all new pictures of quilts. And I'm like, well, I don't really need 
to have a book just to have new pictures of quilts in there as long as the information is the same. However, I also had the original edition of her three-in-one tool and the book kind of, you know, it, they work well together. You don't need one in order to use the other, but they work well together. Um, it's her same color theories. Uh, but when I took the uh, colors class with Tina Somerset and I was using my older version of the three-in-one tool compared to the other students in the class who had the newest edition of her three-in-one color tool, I realized she's made a lot of changes. Yeah, the basic colors are the same, uh, but there's a difference in the numbering system and the number of colors she lists under each um, key color or pure color uh, in terms of the tints, tones, and shades, there's more of them in that. So like under green, there's the tints of green, the shades of green, and the tones of green. On the new version of the three-in-one color tool, there's a lot more of those than there is on the older version. Plus there's a new numbering system on the color tool. And with the, the way I use colors, not only uh, for hand dyeing and in quilting and such, but I also do a lot, like I said, with photo editing and I do some um, design for marketing and such with, with work, uh, I often need the hex numbers, the RGB numbers and everything for colors. And this color tool has them, the new one. So I decided to buy the new color tool. And so I've been using that and it's really nice. And I decided, well, okay, then maybe there's something to be said for this new color play book. Um, I have not completed my full side-by-side -side comparison of the two. I've gotten about halfway through. First of all, I will say it is completely rewritten. This is not just, hey, there's a new paragraph here, there's a new paragraph there. She sat down and wrote this book again. Um, does it have a lot of new information that the old book didn't have? Not really, but it's reorganized. There's new examples. She says things in a different way. Um, I'm, I'm kind of at the point where I, I almost think I might keep both books. You know, again, a lot of times when if you do buy a newer edition, you get rid of the older edition. I might keep them both. Um, I haven't decided yet. I need to finish that side-by-side -side comparison. But I will say, if you own the older book, I, I am not sorry about the new book. I'm really enjoying it. I sat and read it all the way through with a highlighter. I took that one on vacation with me. Um, a lot of really excellent information in there. And I still think I like the old book as well. <laughs> it's Again, it's hard. Um, if you don't own the book at all, get it. Get the new version. It's really, really good stuff. Uh, she goes through each individual color and talks about its complements and its um, the analogous and the uh, complementary and split complementary and everything with each individual color in such a way that, boy, you know, what I'm really kind of dying to do now is to work my way through the book and say, okay, I'm going to do a project that's this color combination based on what she says in this book and kind of challenge myself that way. I don't know if I'll ever get to do that, but I am planning on doing um, some hand dyes. What I'd really love to do is now work my way around the color wheel, take one pure color, dye that pure color, and then dye a bunch of the tint shades and tones of that color. So I've got a full collection, you know, around the color wheel. Um, again, I don't know if I'll get to doing that, but that's it's a dream, a girl can dream. So Color Play with Joan Wolfram, highly recommended the new version. If you don't own the book at all, you should. Um, if you already own the older version, it's really up to you whether you want the newer version or not. Again, not maybe not necessarily a ton of brand new information that wasn't in the old one, but it is completely rewritten. I really enjoyed the way the new one was written and it is all new quilt pictures. So it is kind of nice to see more up-to-date kind of today's colors, today's styles, that kind of thing. Um, excellent book. All right, I'm now going to tell you um, about my doctor of ministry. I'm going to hold off on listener feedback uh, because I need to have some time to sort through it. I have a couple of weeks worth of comments, um, just general run-of-the-mill type comments on blog posts and episodes. Um, plus, I've got the comments that were part of the podcast anniversary giveaway and I wouldn't, there's no way I could respond to all of those comments. I wouldn't sit here and try to read every single one on a podcast episode, but there were a couple of really neat comments that I would like to highlight. I just need to have time to sort through them all. So I'm not going to do any listener feedback on this episode. I will pick that back up again next time. Um, 
but I do want to, again, for those of you who are interested, I want to talk just a little bit about the uh, doctor ministry program I'm going to do. So let me do my usual closing now. So those of you who, you know, are just interested in the quilty stuff, will get everything you need to get and then you can end uh, stop listening and move on. And so uh, you know how you can get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, um, and Flickr, all of those places. I think I'm Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. I'm also Sandy Quilts in Craftsy. Uh, you can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook, and we've got some conversation going on there. It is, once again, fun. Uh, you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group and post pictures of what you've got going on. Love to see that. And you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good all over the world. And you will find links for all of that at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Now, for those of you who are leaving me at this moment, go get your quilty on. For those of you who are sticking around, let me switch gears and we'll talk a little bit about what I'm going to be doing for the next several years. Okay, the D-Min, which is the Doctor of Ministry. Um, I have assumed I'd be doing either a D-Min or a PhD ever since I got my Master of Divinity, which was, oh, a long time ago. Um, I just never really knew what I was going to do it in when I would do it or where I was going to do it and of course once you have kids then things kind of you know get away from you um, I had just kind of started thinking you know now that my daughter thank God will be graduating in a month from college my son is already out um, and financially independent so I started to think maybe this is maybe I could start looking at the possibility of doing something in the next few years. And then um, I just had some experiences last summer that, that said, this is what you're going to be doing it in. And by the way, this is where you're going to do it. And yeah, you need to start doing it in fall. So um, that's, that's a very, very nutshell version of a couple of days uh, this past summer. So I applied um, last fall and just got word because they don't they don't make their decisions you know until certain times of year i just wanted to get the application done you know you kind of get on fire for something you're like i'm just going to do this now while i'm thinking about it um and plus because i had the month of december out um of the country i wanted to make sure i had it done before i left so then i had to wait for several months um and it wasn't so much that I was concerned that all things being equal, I wouldn't be accepted, but you never know, know how many spaces they have available and exactly what kind of student they're looking for and everything. So I didn't want to assume I was going to get accepted. So it was it was a bit of a relief to get the phone call that I had actually been accepted. Um, I will be starting in August 2015 in the Doctor of Ministry program at the Boston University School of Theology. Uh, what I'm going to be doing my demon in uh, kind of in a very, very short nutshell is leadership development for women and girls, uh, specifically focusing on, um, well, not specifically focusing, but part of looking at also how to help women and girls, uh, more women. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Remember, I'm tired. Um, the leadership development of women and girls with women in particular, uh, helping them become more effective at leading through change, because that is something that we all have to do more and more so every passing year. Uh, girls, because they're not quite as embedded in certain ways of doing things, tend to have a little more um, ability to go through change. Uh, and yet there are some girls that really like things to be the same way. Just try to change what you do at Christmas at your house or any uh, holiday at your house and you see how fast your kids are good at change. Um, in any case, so I'm going to be focusing on, on a particular model of leadership development um, that I want to study and kind of poke at. There's, it's a model that comes out of educational theory and so I want to apply it to um, religious faith community settings. Uh, the other thing with uh, leading through change is also multicultural settings. Um, being able to be more effective working in, serving in, and leading in multicultural settings. Um, my particular denomination in particular no longer has a single majority ethnic group. So just within our faith communities, uh, we have uh, people who really need to kind of get up to speed <laughs> on what that means. Um, 
Plus for my own leadership development, I do often work in multicultural and cross-cultural settings. Um, and so I, I would just like to learn to be more effective in that as well. Um, but regardless of denomination, regardless of whether you're even talking about a faith community or a workplace or your neighborhood, uh, we are just more multicultural now. And so I really want to focus on what does that mean and, and how to build strong, meaningful, multicultural relationships that are effective, particularly for me in, in ministry settings. Um, for those of you who have never heard of a D-min before, <laughs> wondering what's the difference between a D-min and a PhD, um, again, in a nutshell, generally speaking, a PhD is more geared at teaching and D-mins are more geared at uh, practical application in faith communities themselves. Um, PhDs tend to be about building a body of knowledge. Demons tend to be more about praxis, about becoming more effective in leadership settings. Um, however, those lines are being blurred. I mean, it used to be if you wanted to teach, you would have to have a PhD. And if you wanted to stay in church or denominational ministry, you would do demons. Um, however, there are now more demons who are teaching in seminaries. There are PhDs who are in the pulpit. So the, the lines aren't quite as firm. Um, but it really kind of boils down to, are you looking more at theoretical knowledge or are you looking at more at practical application? And mine is clearly practical application. So I'm, I decided to do a D-min. Um, I will still have to write and defend a thesis. Um, I will still be taking several years <laughs> to do this. The shortest amount of time you can get it done in is, is three years. There's two years of uh, coursework and then the third year is working on your thesis. Um, you can take up to five and then after five you have to start applying for you know special consideration of extensions. So it's a three to five year time frame. I am really shooting to have mine done in three years. We will see if we can do that. Um, you know right now theoretically it's possible. It depends on what the course load is once I get into it. Uh, I do have a sabbatical. Um, my organization has a very generous sabbatical policy. Um, for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know I podcasted through a sabbatical <laughs> a few years back. Uh, when I would be um, eligible for a sabbatical again, it would be very well timed for actually writing that thesis. So that's kind of what my goal is to get through all the coursework, get through everything I need to do to get up to writing the thesis in time for my sabbatical. And if all of that works, then hopefully I could actually complete it in three to three and a half years. So that's what I'm shooting for. We'll see. Now, a lot of people ask, do I have to move to Boston? Absolutely not. Uh, again, the DMIN is the practical application type degree, and they assume you are staying in your ministry setting. So I am still working full time to do this. PhDs, you tend to more often quit your jobs <laughs> and go to school full time, be a full time student uh, with, you know, teaching uh, internships and that kind of thing. But with the DMIN, they assume you've still got your full time job, and so you're doing this on top of it. Um, I will be therefore doing, there's a residency requirement. So twice a year for the first two years, I will be spending somewhere between eight to 10 days at, on campus at Boston University. And I will be spending almost that entire time in a classroom. Um, I will, they actually have a special house at Boston University uh, School of Theology. They actually have a special house for the, that their demon students stay in. So you you join as part of what they call a cohort. Um, I will be part of the fall 2015 cohort. So several of us demon students all starting at the same time. They have us living together. We're all in classes together throughout those couple of years. Now, clearly some people will drop out. Um, some people who are in other demon cohorts might be taking longer. So I might, you know, it might not be the exact same group for that whole time, but for the most part it, it is. Um, and it's a fairly small group. I think the average demon cohort, from what I understand, is maybe 10 to 15 students, if that. It kind of depends on, you know, the programs. Uh, so twice a year, I will be going to this house on the BU campus um, and living with my other fellow demon students for somewhere between eight, nine, ten days, thereabouts, August, January, the first two years. Um, I will 
it's very, very, very highly unlikely I would have time to do any sort of meetups or visit any quilt shops, anything like that. You're really kind of buried <laughs> when you're there. Um, so, you know, that remains to be seen. I will have the first one this coming August and that will help me understand better how this whole flow is gonna go. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I've got going on. I'm really, really, really excited. I can't tell you how much I can't wait to be back in a classroom. I am still at heart an academic. Um, I just love that atmosphere, um, learning new things, kind of being able to debate respectfully with your fellow students and really kind of pick apart arguments and put them back together and, and really kind of, it, that I, oh, Gosh, I just love that stuff. I can't wait to get back to that. I I am stressing out already about the fall only because since I didn't know whether I was gonna be accepted or not, I couldn't really turn down speaking engagements. So um, September is just insane, absolutely insane. So I warn you right now, you're probably not gonna hear from me a lot and I'm gonna be really stressed out um, in September up until maybe the middle of October. But then once I get through that stretch, I can then, I will be in a much better position to shape whether I say yes or no to speaking engagements and stuff around my coursework. Um, I do still have to work though. I, I can't just say I'm not doing a speaking engagement for the next two years. That being said, because what I'm doing my DMIN in is is directly related to my work, um, I, I will have the ability to uh, create focus groups or to do uh, to basically to, <laughs> to test out what I'm learning on the constituency, on, on women that we work with. And so there will be a lot in which I've got overlap between, yes, this is a speaking engagement, but it also applies to my demons. So that's where that's gonna start shaping up more of those second and third years. Um, so very, very excited about that. My schedule is gonna be nuts. Um, I'm gonna try to think through and, and try to really keep myself on a fairly regimented schedule of you know, I work between these hours, I, I study between these hours, I'm at the gym because I really, really need to stay healthy, um, get healthy and stay healthy. I'm gonna spend so much time with my, you know, family, make sure I'm not never seeing my family again. Uh, quilting is the one thing that may get downshifted quite a bit. As I've said though, I will keep doing it because it's therapy. I know I need to keep that, have that creative outlet. It's just, I'm not gonna be able to be spending the time on it. And I'm really not going to be um, giving myself any sort of things where I feel I start feeling obligated. I may not be joining any swaps. I might be doing any, not any of that stuff that really has a time constraint on it. Um, I will keep up the podcast. It just may not happen as often. All of that remains to be seen. So um, thank you for letting me talk about that a little bit. Like I said, I am, I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm a little scared, not about the academics. I'm looking forward to that. I'm a little scared about schedule stuff and how this is going to all play out. But I also know it'll be, you know, kind of culture shock for the first few couple of months as I'm getting used to all of it. But then I will be able to get it into some sort of a, I'm very good at wrestling my schedule. I'm very good at, at making this kind of stuff work. I mean, heck, my husband and I were both in grad school when we had our two babies and we were working at the same time and we made it work. We weren't always really happy, but we, <laughs> we made it work. So I will, I have faith, I will make it work again. Um, so that's my demon and that's this episode. Um, I appreciate you being willing to listen to me a little extra long uh, for being able to get all that in. Um, so, I think that's really it now for this episode. Um, and again, you've already had the information about where to contact me. So those of you who have hung on till the bitter end, I will now say to you as well, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, mom. 